few moments. In fact, we're only going to really just look at one word of this verse, but I'll read it. This is Luke chapter 2, verse 21. It says this, And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. This is the word of the Lord. The word we are going to look at is not the word circumcised. It is... Um, it's the word Jesus. This is the name that, uh, that the Messiah was given, that the angel was told Joseph and Mary to give them. And in fact, if you think about it, the entire message of Christmas, in fact, really the, the entire message of Christianity is boiled down to that one word, Jesus. And so what I want to do is just show you two quick things just about that word. And I want you to see from that word, um, you'll see the offense of Christmas, the offensiveness of it, and the wonder of Christmas, the offense and the wonder. Uh, what do I mean by the offense? Uh, the name Jesus is, uh, it's, it's, it's the Greekified name of the Hebrew name Joshua, or as, as it would be pronounced in, in Hebrew, it would be pronounced Yeshua, which literally means Yahweh saves or Yahweh rescues. That's what the word Yeshua means. And so the name Jesus means God has come to save. God saves. Yahweh saves. Yahweh rescues. And in fact, if you read um, Matthew's version of this story, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we're looking at Luke. If you looked at Matthew, Matthew, when he's describing the story, he makes this very clear. In Matthew chapter 21, uh, verse 1, verse, chapter 1, verse 21, it says, you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. You see the connection. The reason why he's named that is because he has come to save. But what's the assumption behind that name? The assumption is, is that we needed saving in the first place that we needed rescuing, that we can't rescue ourselves. And that's the rub. That's the offense. That's, that's why Christmas, when you think about it, is actually pretty offensive. Because it tells you that we can't save ourselves. We needed somebody else to come and save us. But we think, we, we don't like that. I don't like that idea. I like to think of Jesus as um, a guru who can provide some spiritual life hacks to help me get in touch with uh, contentment or make my anxiety go down, if, if he can offer me some sort of principles or something that will help me to um, chill out or become more spiritual, like I'm into it. But this idea of being rescued, that, that, that's hard for us. And in fact, because I think deep down what we think is we fundamentally think that we need to be helped, and yet Christmas is saying to us, no, you need to be rescued. It's like picturing yourself um, thrown into the middle of the ocean, abandoned, flailing, drowning. And you think, um, okay, that feels a little heavy-handed. It's Christmas Eve, preacher guy. Come on. Like, let's, let's chill out a little bit. But, but okay, um, think about this idea of the fact that you and I woke up in a world in which we are drowning in uh, suffering, and we're drowning in our own selfishness, and violence, and death, and depression, and pain, and misery. And yet, here's what's crazy, is um, we are at the height of our scientific advancement. I mean, they are, they, are they, they are developing artificial intelligence. Have you thought about that? Just wrap your, that's 
bonkers. They are in coming up with artificial intelligence. It's crazy. You remember, I think it was last summer, the, uh, the pictures that, that NASA released from like the James Webb telescope thing, all these insane pictures of the galaxy, bazillion light years away, all, all of this kind of stuff. And if you just think about, um, I, I remember growing up hearing the language of a supercomputer. Uh, there was like some supercomputer out now, uh, out there back in the, you know, the 90s or whatever. If you think about it, every single one of us has a rectangle in our pockets right now that is a supercomputer you can pull out and type in if you want to know any information in the planet, and you'll have it at your fingertips in one second. It's insanity. The, 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 the amount of uh, scientific discovery, medical advancement, the amount of resources that, ha that we have, the amount of understanding that we have about family systems and, and trauma, and the, the amount of uh, podcasts and TED Talks and therapists and life coaches, we, we have all of this knowledge, all of this stuff that we have available to us. And yet, here, is, here are some of the headlines, or at least here's some of the language that I've heard in the news recently, just to describe our world. That we are in, quote, an opioid crisis, a mental health crisis, a loneliness epidemic. You think about how crime is up across the board, not just in Memphis, but across the board. Mass shootings up. Food deserts continue to be developing more and more. You've got human trafficking, on and on and on. What is, this, what is this story telling you? It's telling you that for the amount of knowledge and information and discovery and resources and stuff that we have available, we can't save ourselves. We can't fix us. There's something desperate about the human condition that for all of our brilliance and creativity and ingenuity and all the amazing stuff that we have at our disposal, it's not enough. And so that's the offense of Christmas. Christmas looks at you and me and says, you needed to be saved. But of course, if you're willing to be offended by that, then I think you're actually in a good position to hear the wonder of Christmas, which is the second thing that I want to think about from this name, Jesus. The wonder of Christmas. What is the wonder? The wonder is that he's here that Jesus is here, that he came, that he showed up, that he's so committed, that God himself is so committed to rescuing a world that he loves, that he's willing to jump into the mess. And so the claim of Christianity, you know, the, the celebration of Christmas is that God, God's son shows up and does not remain immune from suffering and floats above it and isn't touched by it, but rather he plunges headfirst into it. And he knows what it's like to experience hunger and poverty, and back pain, and betrayal, and shame, and mockery, and abuse, and pain, and suffering, and death. This is, this is a God unlike any other God of any other system that says, I am willing to plunge into the mess in order to rescue the very ones that I love. And of course, on the cross is where he loses everything. On the cross is where he's willing to give up everything in order to save and to rescue the very people that he's come to save and to rescue. This is unlike anything that's out there in the world because every other God, every other religious system, every other non-religious system looks at you when you're in the middle of the ocean and barks orders at you. Kick your legs. Try harder. Believe more. Do more. You got this. Keep going. And no matter the amount of advice, teaching, principles, whatever, it, it, we, we can't save ourselves. 
And so the wonder of Christmas is that God came to do it for us. He came to jump in and to rescue us when we're unable to rescue ourselves. That is wonderful in itself, and yet the wonder of Christmas, I think, goes a step deeper. Here's what I mean. Uh, Soren Kierkegaard was a, a Danish philosopher in the 19th century. Children love when I bring up Kierkegaard. Um, but he wrote a, um, he wrote a fairy tale uh, that, I, <laughs> that I want to uh, just share with you briefly. This is a fairy tale he wrote. There's lots of different versions of this online. Here's, here's one that I found. It goes like this. Once upon a time, there was a powerful king who loved a humble maiden. She had no royal pedigree, no education, no standing in the royal court. She was a peasant dressed in rags. But for reasons no one could quite figure out, the king fell in love with this girl. But how in the world, he wondered, was he going to reveal his love to her? How could he bridge the chasm that separated the two of them? He was a man of immense power. Every statesman feared his wrath. Every foreign power trembled before him. If he were to approach her directly, she would have no power to resist. He could force her to be present in his palace but he could not force love to be present in her heart. He knew that all the power in the world could not unlock the door to the human heart. It must be opened from within. So what then could he do? He could try to bridge the chasm between them by elevating her to his position. He could shower her with gifts, dress her in purple and silk, and have her crowned as the queen. But if he brought her to his palace... And if she saw all the wealth and pomp and power of his greatness, then how would he ever know if she loved him for himself and not just for all that he had given her? How could she know that he loved her and would love her still, even if she had remained only a humble peasant? Every alternative he came up with came to nothing. There was only one way. And so one day the king arose and he took off his crown he relinquished his scepter, laid aside his royal robes, and he took upon himself the life of a peasant. And he dressed in rags, scratched out a living in the dirt, groveled for food. He did not just take on the outward appearance of a servant. He became a servant. It was his actual life, his actual nature, his actual burden. He became as ragged as the one he loved so that she could be his forever. It was the only way. The wonder of Christmas is that Jesus was born because the God of the universe wants to be with you. That he loves you enough to come down and to descend and to enter into the mess and the darkness so that he could be with you. I have recently been hypersensitive to the way that people talk when it comes to um, various phrases and clues that people drop when they're referring to their own shame. Maybe it's just because of stuff that I'm going through and working through myself, but I've, I've, my, my radar has become kind of hyper-attuned to it. And you'll, you'll hear it, too, if you start to pay attention. You'll hear people say things like, well, I'm not doing enough, or I blame myself, or I'm the problem. If, if somebody else uh, discovered this about me, they, they would be disgusted. You start to hear people say this. You start to hear yourself say this, and you begin to realize that every single one of us 
is carrying around this, you know, to quote the Avett brothers, boatloads of shame. But here's what Christmas tells you. It tells you that God himself came for you, that he is not ashamed of you, that he loves you and he likes you, that you are worth it to him to come for. And for us and all of our darkness and all the things that we're struggling with and all of our grief and all of our sorrow and in all of our shame, I want to invite you to receive that tonight to receive that as your Christmas present, as it were, to know that the God of the universe loves you so much so that he came for you. Well, Merry Christmas. Let me pray for us, and then we'll sing our next song. Father, I pray that even as we consider uh, the meaning of Christmas, the offensiveness of it, the, the mystery of it, the wonder of it, Father, I pray that you would overwhelm our hearts that we might know that there is a God out there that is real, that loves us, that cares about us enough to come for us. And I pray that that would give us hope in the midst of the darkness. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, the way this next song is going to work, we're going to